Let's open our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 9. So we are still on our series entitled Worship in Spirit and Truth. And we began this series at the beginning of the year, and we uh, did it kind of as a state of the church, uh, looking at the state of worship in the church. And really, the only uh, church we can speak to directly is this church, this congregation. Uh, but what we do here impacts the greater church. It impacts the world around us. It impacts your life, the lives of those that you touch, and, and it goes out from there. And, and hopefully, as we continue through this, we'll make that even more real to you, that your worship matters. Your worship is powerful. Your worship is accomplishing something. Today, I want to take this theme, and I want to go over to the book of Leviticus, and I want to talk to specifically the order of worship in spirit and truth. The order of worship in spirit and truth. So, why do we have the liturgy or order of service that we do? Why do we worship the way we do at Christ Fellowship Church? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> now, I, I, I want to I admit right from the start before we begin this message um, that we do not claim, nor do we believe, that our style of worship, our order, our liturgy is the only way. Our order of worship, our liturgy, and you do realize that every church has a liturgy, even churches that profess that they're not liturgical. And for many years, this church professed to be a non-liturgical church, we just didn't realize that we had a liturgy, we just didn't know what it was. We didn't recognize it as such, but every church has a liturgy because the word liturgy, liturgy, liturgy just means order. Every church has an order of service. Therefore, every church has a liturgy. So, when we talk about our liturgy here at Christ Fellowship, it has developed as we continue to grow and learn and seek to be more purposeful and more closely conformed to the form of worship prescribed in the Scripture. We all are saved, we all are loved by God in spite of all the things we get wrong, and we get very much wrong. Thankfully, His grace is sufficient. So we don't worship the way we do because we think it is the one and only right way. We're still growing, all of us, individually and as a congregation. And we should continue to grow until Jesus takes us to him or he comes to us. So thankfully... We have his all-sufficient grace to help us in all the things we don't get right. Right? Right. His grace is not our freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. His grace is not our freedom to worship however or whenever we deem it convenient. In fact, His grace is the reason we should seek to worship and to do all things conformed to the pattern of truth given to us in His Word and for His glory. In our text today, we will look at the pattern of worship in the tabernacle and how that pattern relates to our worship in spirit and truth and why it is significant for us. Amen? Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. 
And it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourselves a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord and to the children of Israel. You shall speak saying, take a kid of the goats as a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering, also a bull and a ram as peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, by your spirit today, please teach us, please guide us, please bring to remembrance the things that you have spoken to us in your word. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people that would glorify you, that our lives and this church and your church, universal, would bear witness to this world that indeed the Father has sent the Son. Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people that are pliable, moldable, shapeable, that we would not become hardened and stiff-necked like we see in the scripture that your people so often became. And Lord, when you could no longer mold and shape them, you had to break them. Father, help us not to be a people such as that. We ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, do a work of sanctification in us, to mold us and shape us and to conform us to the image of Christ. Help us to be a people at Christ Fellowship Church that seek to worship you, even in our form of worship, to worship you according to a pattern of truth, and that we would do so with purpose, faithfully knowing that our worship is powerful and meaningful for your glory and for the transformation of this world. Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, here in, um, here in, in Leviticus chapter 9, the first four verses I read, uh, Moses and Aaron... And Aaron's sons are getting ready to, the tabernacle has been built, has been erected. Uh, when we get to Leviticus chapter 9, uh, Aaron and his sons have spent, uh, they've spent days, as God told them, don't leave the door of this tabernacle upon your life, uh, but wait here and Consecrate yourselves and prepare yourselves for service to me in the tabernacle. So they've done this, and now they're getting ready to actually institute the sacrifices in the service, in the worship of the tabernacle. And in these first four verses of Leviticus chapter 9, God is instructing them as to the sacrifices they're to bring. Now, the first thing I want you to know, because you might be asking yourself right now, what in the world does this have to do with me? But I want you to know that the Old Testament is not irrelevant today. It is not. The Old Covenant is not so obsolete that we cannot learn from it today. We better learn from it. Though in Christ we live under the new covenant, the old covenant still informs us concerning the truth that is to guide our lives, and that includes guiding our worship. The order of worship offered to Yahweh under the old covenant in the tabernacle and the temple 
corresponds to the order of our worship offered to him under the new covenant in spirit and in truth. Remember, that's how we started this series out. Worship in spirit and in truth. And that is what we do every time we worship. But what does that mean? And what does that look like? And also an important question to ask is, what does that not mean? And what does that not look like? The tabernacle and the temple, with all of its elements and furnishings, were copies that foreshadowed the true that was yet to come. Hebrews tells us this. I mean, Paul in his letter to the Colossians tells us this. We see this with the coming of Jesus and in, in all that has happened uh, in the life and ministry of Jesus. Then in 70 AD with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, God made very clear how he wants his church to worship. Christ is the truth that has come. He is now the substance made manifest of all that was foreshadowed prior to his coming. So the pattern and, and order of worship in the tabernacle and the temple later foreshadowed the substance of our worship today. The order of worship in spirit and truth was foreshadowed in the worship of the tabernacle and later the temple. So what are the elements of worship under the Old Covenant that we need to pay attention to? Well, from the text in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, we see the sacrifices that God commands to be offered. There are three sacrifices commanded in specific order. The sin offering, the burn offering, and the peace offering. They are always offered in this order. You don't get out of order when worshiping in the tabernacle because it could cost you your life. The sons of Aaron found that out when they offered strange fire upon the altar and, and the fire came out and consumed them and killed them. And Moses told Aaron, he said, Aaron, don't you shed a tear, don't you grieve, don't you do anything, but... Do your service to the Lord in the tabernacle. That sounds harsh to us. But what it tells us is that God takes his worship seriously. And so should we. There's also, along with those three blood sacrifices, there's a grain offering specified. The grain offering that accompanied the burnt offering was offered in the fire of the burnt offering, not in the fire of, of the other, but in the fire of the burnt offering, sin offering, burnt offering, peace offering. And that grain, a portion of that grain offering that was brought, most of it stayed with the priest, it was for their food, but there was a small portion that was offered on the altar. And that grain offering that accompanied the burnt offering was offered in the fire of the burnt offering as a tribute. That's actually what that word there for grain offering means in Hebrew. It's a tribute. It's a tribute offering. That was offered as a tribute for the Lord's provision. It would ascend to the Lord with the smoke of the burnt offering. Now, don't think that I'm the smarty pants that learned all this on my own because, as Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. James Jordan writes in his thesis on worship that when Jesus ascended, we were the tribute that ascended with him to the Father. Now, as we ascend to the Lord in worship each week, as we are doing right now, not as we have done because we're through singing our songs, no, we are worshiping him right now. Worship is more than your songs. Worship is everything that we're doing in this service today 
to offer worship to the Lord, as well as to participate in God's service to us through this very service. So Jordan writes that we were the tribute that ascended with Jesus to the Father. Now, as we ascend to the Lord in our worship each week, we offer up our tithes, our gifts as tribute to the Lord for the provision that he has so gracefully given to us. But we're not going to talk about the grain offering today. We're going to talk about these three blood sacrifices. Our focus today will be on these three sacrifices found in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 through 4 that we just read. The sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. God commanded these three sacrifices in worship in this order. The sin offering is also called the purification offering. The burnt offering is, is also known as the ascension offering because that word translated from the Hebrew into the English as burnt in your Bible is a Hebrew word that actually means to ascend. This is an ascension offering. We hear burnt offering, we think someone burned the barbecue, right? Oh, you left the brisket on the pit too long and burned the brisket. No, it's called a burnt offering because the sacrifice was completely consumed by fire. But the point of this offering is that it's an ascension offering. That sacrifice is offered because something is ascending up to the Lord. So the burnt offering is also the ascension offering. And the peace offering, the third one, the last one, is also known as the communion offering. So we have purification, we have ascension, we have communion. There's something that's also related to that ascension offering. It's consecration. And we see... Multiple times, this is what God told Aaron and his sons, consecrate yourself. What did they do? They took a bath, and they put on clean clothes, and they waited before the Lord. When Joshua was leading the children of Israel into the promised land, God told Joshua, get your people ready. Tell them to consecrate themselves before me, before they go into the land. You know what that meant? That meant they were all to take a bath, and they were all to put on clean clothes. The consecration, to be consecrated, speaks of our purification, our cleansing. So we have a sin offering, a burn offering, a peace offering, a purification offering, an ascension offering, and a communion offering. These three sacrifices prescribed in worship by God for his people form the crux of our worship, whether you realize it or not, it does. And if it doesn't, it should. Because this is biblical worship. This is scriptural worship. This is worship as prescribed by God himself to his people. We refer to this worship as covenant renewal worship. Now, you might not know that's what we call it. You might be uh, unfamiliar with that phrase. There are five elements or five steps in our worship each week, and they are in this order. The call, the confession, the consecration, the communion, and the commission. Now, if you look at your bulletin that you get every week, these elements are in here. So inside the, the front page, you see God calls us. Then you see in bold letters, after the song we sing, God cleanses us. Another way of saying that is, this is our confession. What do we do in this cleansing? How do we become cleansed? We confess our sin to the Lord, and then we receive from that confession, we receive the assurance of pardon. Then the next step, the next element is God consecrates us. 
This is the ascension offering. This is the offering, the sacrifice that brings about our consecration. And then there is communion. God communes with us. We're called into communion with God. It's why we come to this table every week. And I know many churches don't, but I believe they should. I believe they absolutely should. I believe it's one of the greatest errors in the church today is we have relegated communion to something on special occasions when it should be a mainstay of every Lord's Day worship because it is what God commanded in the worship of his people. There was always a peace offering, a sacrifice made that spoke of our communion and our peace with God, and there was a meal involved with that peace offering. That was the offering. That was the sacrifice that was offered that everyone ate and partook of. And then there is the commission. God commissions us. So God calls us into his presence. There is confession, the purification, or the sin offering, our cleansing. There is consecration, the ascension, or the burnt offering, which sets us apart to God. We're set apart after we're cleansed. When the, when the sacrifice was slaughtered for the ascension offering, it was slaughtered, it was cut apart, it was processed for that offering. The pieces were cut, they were washed and cleansed, and then it was arranged on the altar to be offered up to the Lord. That's what happens to us during this part of worship. When we are being consecrated, being set apart for the Lord, the Word of God is rearranging you. The Word of God is, is, is shaping you. It's positioning you. It's making you ready for the Lord's service. Then communion, the peace offering. We have a meal. We come to the table with God and we sup with him because we are at peace with him. He's not our enemy and we're not his any longer. But peace has been made through the blood of Jesus. And that's why it is so important to celebrate this peace offering this sacrifice every week, because every week re, we reaffirm corporately as his body that we have peace with God. How do we know that? Because we come to his table and we suck with him. And you don't do that with your enemies. You do that with those you have made peace with. And then... After we commune with God, God commissions us. He sends us out to serve him. These are the five elements of worship we participate in every week, and you may not realize that. And I want you to realize that, because I want you to begin to be purposeful about how we worship. So we're going to come back to these five steps of worship in, in the weeks ahead Today, I want to broadly introduce them. I want to identify them for us so that we'll be aware of them, that they're something you participate in every week. It's, e it's even the headings right here in your bulletin. So we don't miss it. But I know sometimes we just miss things because we're used to looking at things and we, we see, but we don't really see. Related to those three offerings, I want to point out three gifts that God gives to us in worship. Three gifts that God gives to us in worship. In considering these three gifts, 
or these three, um, in considering these three sacrifices found in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, in the Old Testament, I want us to go, uh, I, I want to link these gifts and these sacrifices, but I want to go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament to see how the writer of, Hebrew, how the writer of Hebrews draws our attention back to the Old Covenant worship in the tabernacle as he is pointing us to the worship now that we involve ourselves in, worship in spirit and in truth. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service. And the, early sanctuary, the earthly sanctuary for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which, in the Ark, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, the tablets that God wrote the Ten Commandments upon. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. He's like me. We don't have time to go into this now, but here's what it is. So I want you to notice the layout of the tabernacle. I wish I had a visual for you, but I don't. But if you can uh, picture a big rectangle, and then if you can picture inside this big rectangle a smaller rectangle. And then if you can picture this smaller rectangle cut in half. And this big rectangle is a big curtain fence, if you will, that has a veil at the entrance into this big rectangle. You walk into that, there's an altar there, there's a laver there where they burn the sacrifices, where they wash but then beyond that altar and that laver, there's that, this other little rectangle tent covered. The big rectangle's open air. The little rectangle inside the big rectangle is completely covered with multiple layers of animal skins and, and, and fabric so that there is no light getting inside of that little tent, that tabernacle. None. The only light inside there comes from inside there, and it is the light of the Lord's presence. And to that little tent, that little rectangle, there's another veil, a curtain. And when you walk into that curtain, what we just read in Hebrews is that you walk in and you'll see a table with bread on it. You'll see a menorah lit up. And you'll see an altar or a table with incense on it. And every day, the, the, the priest, every day, the priest on duty would go into the holy place. That's what that's called. Or the sanctuary, as the writer of Hebrews calls it. He'd go into the sanctuary and he'd make sure there's fresh bread on the table. He'd make sure the lights are all burning because the lights can't go out. You can't let the lights go out. That's like a death penalty if you let the lights go out. You don't do that. And you make sure that the incense is ascending up to God. Those incense represent the prayers. That's in the sanctuary, or what's called the holy place. And then behind that altar of incense, there's another veil. And all these veils are the same. They've got cherubim woven into them. So when you look at that veil, that curtain, there's cherubim there. And it's there for a reason. I don't have time to tell you why today, but we'll get to that as we go through this study. But behind that veil, that second veil of the sanctuary is what's called the holiest of holies. And the priest on duty would go into the sanctuary, the holy place, every day, but he dare not set foot into the holiest of holies 
that was reserved for only one person, that is the high priest, and that was reserved for only one day out of the year on the, the Day of Atonement, during the Feast of Atonement. So in the holiest of holies, one man went there one time a year, and that's it. And he saw the ark and the mercy seat and the cherubim, but even he wasn't able to see the things inside the ark. He didn't go in there and take the lid off the ark and say, oh, I wonder if the, the Ten Commandments are still here. I wonder, if the, I wonder what that manna tastes like. Maybe, I wonder if anyone's ever tried that. No. He would have been struck dead. Even the high priest didn't see what was inside the ark. So we've looked at the tabernacle and how it's laid out. So think about this. When Israel assembled at the tabernacle or in the temple court when there finally was a temple in Jerusalem, first and second, when Israel would assemble in worship, they never saw the showbread. They never saw the menorah. They never saw the showbread, and they certainly never saw the manna inside the ark. They never saw the menorah and the light it emitted, and they certainly never saw the tablets inside the ark of the covenant. They may have glimpsed priests, going in and out of the curtains, out of the veil. But they would be doing their work, going out of sight, coming back into sight. But they never saw the work that those priests did in worship. And they were not a part of that work or that service of worship because they were divided God's people were divided from the service of worship taking place by these veils that were put in place to divide them, to keep them out for their own safety. Today, today, when you walk into a church, there are three things that should be visible to all worshipers. And I'll stand by that. When you walk into any church, there are three things that should be visible to all worshipers. The first is the Bible. If you notice what we have not had here before, but we do have today, because I was convicted when I was preparing this service. Why don't we have, we used to have a Bible on this table for years. Like, why don't we have the Bible up there? You, you know, sometimes you think, why do churches have those big Bibles that nobody reads, and they just sit there and collect dust. What's the purpose of having a Bible on a table if you're never going to use it? Well, I'll tell you the purpose. Ask God that question. God, what's the purpose of having stone tablets that you inscribed on in an ark that nobody can see and look at? What's the purpose, God? I'll just leave that with you to think about. Three things. The Bible, which is God's Word. What were those tablets? They were God's Word. The bread and wine laid out on the table because we're going to eat together later. Not just we're going to eat together. We're going to eat with God. We're going to sup with Him. And that represented the manna, the pot of manna that was inside the ark who Jesus said he represents in reality, in truth, as the bread of life. The manna was just a foreshadowing of the true bread that would come down from heaven, who is Christ. And the other is a pastor, an elder, a priest, if you will, conducting the worship service that we are all participating in. Those three elements should be in every church when you walk into one. And I promise you from now on, when you walk into Christ Fellowship Church on a Sunday morning, there's going to be a Bible there because we need to have the Word of God as a reminder 
that we are here to worship, just like that priest that went into that most holy place knew that God's word was present in that ark. Oh man, we've got something so much greater. So much greater. Today, the Bible, the completed Word of God, corresponds to those tablets. The manna corresponds to, to, to Jesus Himself, the bread. This is what we profess when we eat the bread. We say, this is the body of Christ. And then, of course, the priest who conducts the service. But I, I, want, I want to remind you that priest is not just represented by your pastor, but in a sense, the priesthood of all believers in Christ. Christ, who is our great high priest. Guess what you are? You are a priest unto God. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. Revelation chapter 1 says that. Revelation chapter 4 says that. 1 Peter says that. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You have been given the privilege to offer up spiritual sacrifices to your God, and they are acceptable to him. Jeffrey Myers, in his book, The Lord's Service, links these three things inside the ark with the three specific sacrifices that God prescribes in Leviticus chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, and three gifts that God gives to us as he serves us in worship. The three gifts of God he links with, he links these are, I'm sorry, the three gifts of God that he links with these sacrifices are these things, glory, wisdom, and life. And Myers says this, these three gifts correspond with the three ways that God serves us as he draws us along the sacrificial path to his presence. Each of these gifts signify an aspect of our worship and they're linked to the contents of the ark and the offerings of sacrifice prescribed there in God's word in Leviticus 9. Glory. Glory is linked to Aaron's rod that budded. This is linked to the sin offering or the purification offering. This is linked in our worship as our confession and our restoration before God. Now, we started there, but you understand, you get to that point of confession because God has called you into his presence to worship him. That's why that priest did not go into God's presence except one time of year. Because that was the one time a year that God says, you're allowed to come here. God called him there. But God called them constantly to come and worship into his presence. And God also served them as he served him. That's why when you read Leviticus chapter 9, if you read that, you'll notice that Aaron and his sons are instructed to offer Offerings for themselves before they offer offerings for the people. Why is that? Because Aaron and his sons, the priests, needed their sins. They needed this exact thing done for them. So that they are not defiled and offering for the people. So they had to offer for themselves. So the glory is Aaron's rod budded. It's the sin offering, the purification offering. Paul writes in Romans that those whom God justified, he also, what? Glorified. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined. He, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. Wisdom. The second gift is wisdom. This is linked to the tablets of the covenant inside the ark. 
what we commonly call the Ten Commandments or the Decalogue. This is related to the ascension offering. This is related to our consecration. Our consecration by the word of God, the word of God that washes us, that cleanses us, that renews our mind, that sets right the things that are out of order. We receive wisdom and renewal and we are set apart for his service by his word. This is what Paul writes in his letter to the to the uh, Ephesians, when he talks about Jesus and his bride. She is made glorious by the washing of the water of the word. This is wisdom God gives to us through his word. The third is life. Glory, wisdom, and life. That life is linked to the pot of manna inside that ark. This is the peace offering. This is our communion meal with God. We receive spiritual nourishment for life every time we come to this table. I have said this so many times in years past, and I still hear people today say this. Well, the reason we don't do communion every week is because we don't want to lose its special meaning. Well, why do you eat every day? Isn't lunch every day going to lose its special meaning if you do it every day? Why do you sleep every night? Won't your sleep lose its special meaning if you sleep every night? Why don't you just stay up for a few days and not sleep? And then your sleep will really be special for you. And you say, well, that's ridiculous, Pastor Jeff. We've got to eat to live. We've got to sleep to live. You don't think you need this table to live? Do we really think we don't need this table to live? Do we think we don't need the body and the blood of Jesus to live? But we act like we do. Because we minimize the Lord's table. And we relegate it to a back room in a salad bowl with... Mm, boy, that just that, that really gets me. Oh, yeah, you can have communion, but go to the back room where there's a salad bowl with the little elements all together there. You can, you can do that. What if you came to my house for Sabbath dinner on Saturday night and I said, well, yeah, you can eat with us, but I want you to go out to the shed and, and eat by yourself. You can't eat with us. You wouldn't feel very welcome, would you? You might not enjoy the meal as much as you would sitting in communion with everyone else around the table. Why do we do that with the Lord's table? I don't understand that. Well, I'll tell you why we do it. We do it because we're ignorant. My people perish because of a lack of knowledge, God says. And this is why we're talking about these things today. I want you to know why we come to this table every week. I want you to know why we do what we do in worship. Because God has given this truth to us. Now in Christ, now in Christ, you are in Christ if you are his child. Now in Christ, the way has been opened for us to be active participants in worship. We are no longer passive spectators trying to get a glimpse of what we can see and settling for the fact that there are things we will never see because we've been born from the wrong tribe. When the people of Israel assembled for worship, these items and the, and the holy places that contained them were not visible. Even the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies one time a year didn't get to see what was inside the ark. The people could not see into the holy place. They could not see into the holy of holies. There was a veil that divided the people from those holy places. The priest would sacrifice your animal and rearrange that animal and cleanse that animal to be properly placed on the altar for you. The priest would go into the sanctuary each day to lay out the bread to offer up the incense, to make sure the lights were all burning. He would do all of this behind a veil. 
It was all hidden. It was all divided from the worshipers outside. They stood outside, divided from the priest, divided from the sacrifices being offered, and the service of worship that was taking place in the tabernacle. But now, but now in Christ, you are not watching from a distance as a priest performs worship on your behalf. You no longer are bringing an animal to be sacrificed by a priest. You are a vital, active part of the worship taking place. Consider these two scriptures. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Or, remember, your reasonable act of worship. That's what that means, literally. Consider 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? You are being built up a spiritual house. You are a holy priesthood. You are offering up spiritual sacrifices to God. They are acceptable to Him through Jesus Christ. Now, in Christ, you are the living sacrifice being offered up bodily to God. Remember, worship is not just some mental, emotional, spiritual exercise that doesn't involve you. And your body, present your body to the Lord. You are the living sacrifice being offered up bodily to God. Now, in Christ, you are a royal priesthood. You are now the priest offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are both a living temple and a living sacrifice. And you are the priesthood offering up the acceptable sacrifices to God. You are made holy. You are made acceptable to God to be offered up and to offer up those sacrifices through Jesus Christ, specifically through his blood that has washed and cleansed you and taken away your sin. Jesus Christ, by his blood, has made us acceptable to God. Now, listen church, now in Christ there is no longer divided worship. There is no divided worship any longer in Christ. Listen to what Mark writes in his gospel. Mark chapter 15 verses 37 through 38. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels. At the cross, when Jesus breathed his last, the physical veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the way opened for us to the most holy place. But I'm going to tell you, all of that veil tearing and renting from top to bottom was just a foreshadowing. It was really an empty shadow that held no substance because the true veil, the true substance was hanging on a cross, having given up his last breath. And when that veil was rent there at the death of Jesus on the cross, There was no Ark of the Covenant behind that veil in the most holy place. That Ark had not been in that temple since the Babylonian captivity. And I believe God kept that Ark out of that temple because God, after the destruction of that first temple, God says, I'm sending the true Ark to the next temple you'll rebuild. So you do realize the Ark of the Covenant was not behind the veil of the temple The Ark of the Covenant had walked in and out of the temple. 
The Ark of the Covenant was carried by its mama and its daddy just 40 days old into the temple to be dedicated to God. The Ark of the Covenant, the true Ark, went into that temple and overchanged the tables of the money changers and declared that my father's house shall be called a house of prayer and you've made it a den of feasts. It's not that the ark wasn't in that temple. It just wasn't the ark everybody else was hoping for, looking for. And they're still looking for it today. They're still hoping for it today. And I'm going to tell you, it's foolishness. Why are we looking for a shadow when the substance has come? And the substance is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, I mean, you go right into where the, only the high priest could go. You can go there now. You can go to a better place than the high priest could go. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us. Listen, through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, the tearing of that veil in the temple foreshadowed the true veil of Christ's flesh that was torn for us on the cross at Calvary. It was through the tearing of the veil of his flesh that in truth opened the way for us to come into the most holy place to see and to touch and to experience. We can do what the high priest could never do, could never imagine doing. He could only imagine what was inside the ark. We now can see, we can touch, we can experience, we can actually handle it ourselves. And we do. We can see, touch, and experience what no man was allowed to see and touch and experience before Christ came and allowed the veil of his flesh to be ripped for us. Now in Christ, the veil has been taken away. Not only can we see beyond the veil, we go beyond the veil into the very holy of holies. We do this each time we worship in spirit and truth. We do this each week. We assemble and worship together. We ascend to the very throne of God and join with the heavenly host and worship on Mount Zion. Man, that ought to get you excited. When we assemble together to worship, we are ushered into his very presence, into the holiest of places. We ascend up to God as living sacrifices. When we worship now in Christ, we come to the very throne of grace. We are brought into the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Remember, worship is not just a spiritual and mental exercise, but you are called to offer up your body as a living sacrifice. That means you are to consecrate yourself, to set yourself apart for God's service, your service to him and his service to you. That's why we consecrate ourselves, because we are serving him and he is serving us in worship. You are to be holy because the God you worship is holy. Jesus very simply said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. In his love and in his grace, he makes us holy by the blood shed for us on the cross. But it is our obedience to Christ and to his word that marks our love for him. God is not interested in lip service. God wants our obedience. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. We're saved by the grace of God. But if we profess to love him, then he tells us exactly what we need to do. Then obey me. We live in a culture today that doesn't like to talk about obedience. We don't want our kids to obey. We, we live where we, we, don't, we don't make, you know, we've got a whole public school system that basically has a zero tolerance for obedience. Not disobedience, but for obedience. Teachers are quitting right and left because they have no way to enforce obedience on their students because obedience has fallen out of favor. 
The powers that be think obedience is old-fashioned. It's harmful. You're damaging people's self-worth. If you make them obey, tell them they have to obey, you're going to hurt their feelings. Well, let's see how that works out when they get put in prison one day and they're getting more than their feelings hurt by the inmate they're sharing a cell with. You don't think that happens? That happens every day. And you know what we think the answer is? I, I just read an article the other We think the answer is don't, don't enforce the law. Just don't enforce the law. We're, we're making people worse by enforcing the law. Just, just let them go. When you read God's word, you see how insane that is. And we will watch this world descend into greater and greater and greater insanity because they will not obey God's word. So if you, Christian, profess to love Jesus, you are commanded by Jesus to obey, to obey him. Not just to say with your mouth, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, and then go live like hell in this world. I can say that. It's in the Bible. Because that's really what happens. No, Jesus said, if you love me, then keep my commandments. In his love and grace, he makes us holy by his blood shed for us. But our obedience marks our love for him. Thank God for his grace that is sufficient for we all fall short all the time. I'm not going to put that on you, but I'm going to tell you I fall short all the time. And I thank him for his sufficient grace that gives us legs to get up and to keep walking by faith in obedience to his word. Thank him for his grace that faithfully maintains covenant with us even when we unfaithfully break covenant with him. This is why we have the elements of worship we do each week. For each week, we seek covenant renewal in our worship. Each week, we respond to his call to worship. Each week, we confess our sin and receive the assurance of pardon in our worship. Each week, we present ourselves in consecration, separated to God as living sacrifices, made clean by the washing of his blood and the washing of his word. Each week we commune with God at his table and we commune in peace. And each week he commissions us and sends us out to courageously give witness to Christ and his gospel. This is the renewing power of our worship. May you be powerfully renewed as his living temple, as his living sacrifice, and as his holy and royal priesthood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Let us prepare to come to the Lord's table, to commune with him in peace, to sup with him, and to celebrate the renewal of the covenant. Please stand for your commission, or as we like to call it, your charge. I began these, these, uh, this message with these questions. Why do we have the liturgy or the order of service that we do? And why do we worship the way we do at Christ Fellowship Church? And we might add, why does it matter? It matters to us because it matters to God. We know it matters greatly to him because he gave us whole books of the Bible that command his people concerning their worship of him. In fact, the whole Bible is a book about worshiping him. Therefore, it should matter greatly to us for in His grace, He has made us living temples, living sacrifices. He has made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special treasure, the Bible says. And we've been given the privilege to offer up to Him spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God in Jesus Christ. 
We are created and we are called to worship him. Worship with renewed purpose. Worship faithfully. Worship passionately. Worship the Father in spirit and truth in a manner that is consistent with truth and glorifying to his name. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Have a great day.